the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Tim DeMoss Show podcast. You can hear the program each weekday afternoon from 4 till 5 on AM 560 WFIL and WFIL.com. AM 560 WFIL.com and on the app, you're listening to the Tim DeMoss Show. Thanks for tuning in. How's it going? Uh, let's see, mix of clouds and sun, the balance of the afternoon, 88 the high, a little toasty, 67 low night, tomorrow kind of cloudy, some sunshine eventually, might get a shower in the mix tomorrow at some point, and a high again of 88. Phillies lost 2-1 to Toronto last night, Zach Wheeler had a strong outing, it didn't result in a win though, seven innings pitched, gave just three hits, struck out five, Phillies will try again tonight at Toronto. At 7.07. Eagles are home against Cleveland tomorrow night in preseason football at 7.30. And the Women's World Cup, England over Australia 3-1 earlier today. England moves on to take on Spain in the final, which will be this Sunday morning at 6 on Fox. A couple of special guests on the show today. We'll mention them in a moment. One of them tied in with our Ministry of the Month. Alistair Begg. All right, there you go. I'm letting the cat out of the bag, officially. Alistair Begg on the program later on this hour. We're giving away his new book, The Christian Manifesto, Jesus' Life-Changing Words from the Sermon on the Plain. It's interesting because the word manifesto may kind of imply this massive, thick, heavy book. But it's actually a rather slim book, around 100 pages. It's coming out about a month from now. And like the passage it comes from, Luke chapter 6, it's a, it's a rather tight set of verses, but a lot packed into it. And I would say the same of the book itself. You can enter to, to win not just the book, but a study guide that comes with it. Uh, and in the book, Alistair's outlining Jesus' vision for life and how you work with others, how you love people. It's not political. It's more about relationship. It's uh, counterintuitive, though. A lot of stuff Jesus says. Blessed are the poor. Blessed are those who mourn. And now there are some other, some of those things also appear in other sermons that Jesus preached. But in any case, we're giving that book away all month long and we're giving that, um, that, that study guide. But also on top of that, every week, we're giving away the daily prize to someone plus six more prizes, including Alistair's book and study guide, Brave by Faith, plus a study in First and Second Timothy on USB. So that goes out weekly. And then there's a big grand prize winner at the end of the month. Picking up the Daily Prize, an ESV large print Bible, as well as the Truth for Life 365 Daily Devotional Book, Volumes 1 and 2. So that's right on our homepage, WFIL.com. Get entered to win that and uh, and have fun with that. We have a lot of contests on our site, quizzes and surveys and other things you can do to enjoy as well as perhaps win some neat prizes. Uh, the, one of the other things on the site, by the way, parenthetically, the Faith and Freedom Summit coming up Monday, September 11th at 730. 
Dr. Robert Jefferson, Pathway to Victory, going to be part of the panel. I'll be on that panel as well, and several of our fine talk show hosts from our sister station, Philadelphia's AM 990, The Answer, that evening. Chris DeGaulle does the morning show. Dennis Prager and Mike Gallagher all part of that. And the main topic, really, government's impact on our freedom of religion. You can get info and tickets on that Faith and Freedom Summit, again, Monday, September 11th at 730. Happening at the Fusion Warminster, WFL.com, again, for tickets and info. Now, one of the people uh, kind of, in a way, responsible for the fact that you can go to our website and enter a contest, whether it's the Ministry of the Month with uh, Alistair Begg and Truth for Life, whether it's for tickets and info on the Faith and Freedom Summit, whether it's a quiz and survey, whatever it might be, is the first guest we have this hour. You know, he did not invent the Internet itself, but he makes it and has made it very, very, very accessible. His name is Greg Ennis. You may not know him by name, like you would know uh, an Alistair Begg from our station or one of the uh, one of the other pastors you would hear on the program or like you would know an athlete's name. But Greg is the former vice president of the technology for the Wi-Fi Alliance, uh, of technology for the Wi-Fi Alliance. And he basically helped invent the technology that Wi-Fi is. So if you have a device, one of the what, 18 billion Wi-Fi devices in existence, iPads and all the other things. He's the guy who came up with a couple other guys, the technology that the whole Wi-Fi system is built on. And one of the fascinating things I want to talk with Greg about to me is the universality, if that's the word, of Wi-Fi. You know, I visited Brazil with my wife this summer and, you know, you have a, a plug. You have to have an adapter just to plug your laptop in and won't plug into the wall. And that's true in other parts of the world, of course. Not so with Wi-Fi. Do you ever think about that? If you were to travel around and you had to use a different kind of something to connect to the internet, yeah, there's you know to, to be able to use the to be able to use it. So the Wi-Fi that we'll be, ta- we'll be chatting with him about this book he's written. It's called Beyond Everywhere: How Wi-Fi Became the World's Most Beloved Technology. So it's basically his life's work. He's retired now and has spent a lot of time writing this book. So we'll chat with Greg Ennis first, and then Alistair Beck from Truth for Life will join us as well. Very much looking forward to those conversations on our program today. We have some other cool ones coming up in the next few days as well. You're listening to the Tim DeMoss Show, AM 560, WFIL.com, and on the WFIL app. Have a guest you'd like to hear on the Tim DeMoss Show on AM 560, WFIL? Email D at WFIL.com. AM560, WFIL.com, and on the app, you're listening to the Tim DeMoss Show. Greg Ennis, former vice president of technology for the Wi-Fi Alliance on the program today. He's author of the book, Beyond Everywhere, How Wi-Fi Became the World's Most Beloved Technology. How you doing, Greg? Hello, Tim. I'm doing well. How are you? Wonderful. Congratulations on Beyond Everywhere. Well, thank you. It's a fascinating book in that... If I read correctly, uh, you mentioned early on that you actually retired. Was it was the main thing is time to write this book and I need my whole attention on it? I kind of knew, you know, many years ago that this was going to be a good story. So I've been thinking about doing this book, you know, since uh, Wi-Fi first came out in the early 2000s. Um, But of course, I 
wouldn't have a chance to actually do it until I retired. So, so I haven't really felt like I retired, you know, I've still been working yes. <laughs> doing this. It's been uh, uh, quite a fun process. One of the things that comes through when reading it, it's a fascinating book, is the ability to make it so that anybody, whether they know all the, what all the letters stand for or not, so to speak, they can get it and appreciate it. Uh, that was something important to you from the get-go that you want to make sure how it was very accessible since Wi-Fi itself, of course, is all over, beyond everywhere. Yeah, a- absolutely. So um, I've always felt that the, the backstory behind Wi-Fi um, would be would be of interest to people. You know, everybody uses it. Um, we, you know, we all depend on it. Uh, we all love it. And um, but people don't really know how it came about. And the the story is actually way more surprising and dramatic than people would expect. So I, I knew very early on that this was a story that uh, that really needed to be told. And uh, I'm I'm happy to be the person to do it. Yeah, well, you we kind of along those lines. It sounds like maybe you were even taking some notes along the way, and maybe your work lends itself to that anyway. Thinking because to try to remember it all, you know, years after things have happened is another story altogether. Uh, but it sounds like you were kind of prepping all all along in hopes of being able to put something together eventually. Yeah, I've uh, I've got quite a a set of archives in my possession. So, <laughs> I bet. Um, yeah, it's it's been uh, it's been fun to go through all this and to put it together in the book form. Eight chapters to Beyond Everywhere. And in the first chapter, we obviously don't have time to go through all of them, but the first chapter, Pork Bellies and Yen Futures, uh, very interesting, starts off with a crime scene, so to speak, and a connection to Pennsylvania because Dick Thornburg was the U.S. Attorney General, but had been the governor of Pennsylvania before that. Just share a a snippet of that story uh, because that's one of those, you never know where it's going to come from, and that's certainly very important in the history of Wi-Fi. Right. It certainly is. So, um, you know, back in 1989, the FBI did a sting operation with undercover agents at the uh, Chicago Board of Trade at the, you know, the commodities trade trading floor where there were these corrupt traders, you know, perpetrating fraud on their customers by skimming from their customer accounts or something. And um and this FBI sting operation, of course, it ended up in indictments. I, you know, uh, Richard Thornburg, you know, announced the indictments. I, I think I have that in the book. Yep. But um, and and so you know, it was a big deal for the for the the commodities world. But actually, the most important thing that came out of that was that the federal government ended up requiring that the uh, the commodities trading uh, floors change their manual fraud prone way of doing business to install a wireless network of handheld trading terminals. And that network actually uh, was a major progenitor of Wi-Fi with, uh, you know, the people, myself included, involved in the development of that. Many of the ideas in there ended up finding their way into the development of Wi-Fi as as the technology advanced. So, uh, yeah, so that's how, you know, chapter one starts with this uh, crime story of this FBI sting operation. Folks, tuning in, we're chatting with Greg Ennis, former vice president of technology for the Wi-Fi Alliance, author of the new book, Beyond Everywhere, How Wi-Fi Became the World's Most Beloved Technology. Uh, and in that, so so I think in the book you actually write that your kind of entry into all this is your part of the punishment that was being meted out to the corrupt world of commodity traders. So it's 
I find your That's journey right. right so I find your journey particularly fascinating because you I guess you see how Wi-Fi developed and some of it being very slow and you never knew where it was coming from, but other things you could probably tell, like where something's headed. But then in the one of the questions big picture is could you have ever envisioned Wi-Fi being as huge and as important as it is? You know, I, I we always felt that it was going to be a, a liberating technology for people. I mean, people might not have have uh, actually consciously felt that they had this need, but as soon as it was available, people latched onto it pretty pretty fast. Um, if you can latch onto something wireless, um, <laughs> right? You know, and uh, you know, because it it frees us from having to have things always connected with wires. I mean, uh, people today don't even remember when they when when they had to do that. Um, but I, I think I think we first started to recognize that this was going to be a real phenomenon when it became uh, a, 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 a cultural thing rather, you know, beyond just a technology thing. When when we started to see it be, you know, a, a, a jeopardy question and when we started to see Wi-Fi and crossword puzzle clues and, and in sitcom dialogues, you know, they'd be talking about Wi-Fi. And uh, we all just kind of sat back and thought, okay, this is going to be a fun ride. <laughs> you know what? It really ties in with your point that you make early on uh, in the uh, in the prologue, I think, where you say kind of people may stereotype engineers as lacking social skills and sitting in their cubicle all alone in uncomfortable clothes or something. But they're really much more collaborative than a person might realize. And uh, and you, you share that story, so th- i.e., there is much more to the Wi-Fi story than the technology. That's very important and you cover it, but there's all the people behind it in and around the technology. Exactly. Yeah, it's the people and and the organizations. You know, there's there's various organizations. There's, you know, loose alliances of companies that got formed in order to promote certain ideas. Um, you know, there's, you know, the the government regulatory agencies like the FCC, you know, play a very important role. Um, but behind all these things are are the people. And, um, you know, I've been privileged to know the major players in the Wi-Fi industry for, you know, 30 years. And uh, some of them are pretty amusing characters. So uh, I, I thought it was really important to tell this story as a story about the people and uh, and the, the challenges and the and the joys that the people experienced as uh, as we all went through this development and then to sit back and well not sit back but to watch it just explode across the globe yeah well and part of that and you bring this point up too because there's so many parts to the wi-fi story the fcc you just mentioned you write about how they had made a rule change in 1985 allowing unlicensed use of certain frequencies Uh, one of the one of the things our general manager here says to me i'm the program director here as well he says number one rule here protect the license if we lose our license we all go home so we have to be very careful to make sure whatever we're doing is legal in everything we do, the contests and everything, the content over the air. And it's just a, just a prioritization for us, uh, certainly because we have a big responsibility, big tower, big reach, 24 counties, three states and all that. But what the FCC did, and you write about this in the book, if they hadn't gone that direction, maybe Wi-Fi, I think you're right. What, what if you had to get a license just to, what was it, your Wi-Fi camera for your security system or something? Right, right. Yeah, that was a very radical experiment that the FCC uh, did back in the in the 80s to to essentially deregulate some of the bands to allow these low power devices 
to operate without first getting a license. And, you know, the FCC at the time didn't really know what this was going to lead to, but it was it ended up being an experiment that succeeded beyond their wildest dreams. Right. I mean, there's 18 billion Wi-Fi devices in the in the world, you know, four billion a year uh, get sold additionally. Yeah. Um, so it's ended up being a very, very successful experiment uh, by the FCC. And, uh, and they recognize that, and the, the FCC in general is very, very supportive of allocating um, you know, resources to the Wi-Fi industry to help further its, its growth and uh, to uh, allow it to keep improving and being enhanced. One of the things I love about the book also, you mentioned the, sting, the single standard, the fact that it is a single standard, right? Tablets, smartphones, laptops, printers, light bulbs, automobiles. I was just in Brazil with my wife visiting her parents and just having it, the annoyance of having to get an adapter to plug in my laptop. Imagine having to do that all the time, wherever you're going based upon, but you write in the book, your devices connect the same way, whether you're in Beijing, Nairobi, Warsaw, or wherever else. It's fascinating, it, right? Yeah. And, um, and it, it has taken a lot of work on the part of a lot of talented people to, to make that, uh, that dream of a universal, connectivity language uh really come to fruition um so it you know and it's and it's not just a universality you know around the globe you know like you said it's in all of these different types of devices it's in um you know it's in our homes our offices our factories our our public hotspots, our coffee shops our, our airplanes you know it's used on the space station it's going to be used on the moon to support uh moon rovers um and so it's it's really been satisfying to see that that this dream of having you know essentially a universal language that allows all these types of devices to communicate all over the world um it's really panned out and uh and uh that's why you know uh, wi-fi is such a beloved technology worldwide fascinating uh book fascinating chance to chat with you could keep going but last question for you i know you're talking to other folks today um how about you personally, when you see something this, I mean, there are very few people who have touched something that has become so widespread and so important. Have you become different? Are you the same guy you were, you know, we all grow over time a bit, but you know what I mean? Are you staying grounded and you're just kind of marveling at it and enjoying it or? I, I think I'm the same guy I always with, uh, you know, yeah. Uh, I, I've always been. Um, but of course, you know, like everybody else, I enjoy uh, you know, taking advantage of Wi-Fi and and other technologies that have that have developed over the past years. Um, you know, it's uh, it's been a fun ride, but I I don't think it's changed me other than uh, made me very proud of uh, something that I and my colleagues were man managed to accomplish. Yeah, that's great, Greg. Thank you so much for taking time today. God bless you. Have a great rest of your day. Okay, thank you, Tim. Thank you. It's Greg Ennis, former vice president of technology for the Wi-Fi Alliance, author of Beyond Everywhere, How Wi-Fi Became the World's Most Beloved Technology. You're listening to The Tim DeMoss Show, AM 560, WFIL.com, and on the WFIL app. Live and local, it's The Tim DeMoss Show, weekday afternoons 4 till 5 on AM 560, WFIL, and at WFIL.com. Our podcast continues. AM 
AM 560 WFIL. It's the Tim DeMoss Show, and we are very glad to bring on board the one and only Alistair Begg from Truth For Life. How are you doing today? Very well, Tim. Delighted to talk to you. Yeah, you know, when we last left our hero, we were chatting about Brave by Faith, God-sized confidence in the post-Christian world, and a couple years prior to that, name above all names. So I think we're on that every other year cycle. And it... <laughs> Well, that's that's very good of you. I, I, I'm glad of the chance to be interrogated by you. Yeah, well, in conjunction with this newest book, The Christian Manifesto, that's coming out, Jesus' life-changing words from the Sermon on the Plain, and of course, the ministry itself. But before we get to the book, because we're featuring Truth for Life as our ministry of the month, uh, take a second and just, if you would, uh, share your best recollection of uh, how Truth for Life, the radio aspect, came to be, because you were already a pastor at the time, I understand. Oh, yes, I was. Uh, First in Scotland, I was uh, with no prospect of radio. And then here in the States, um, I had no thought of that either. And uh, it really came about as a result of the initiative of uh, who was just a a young man at the time. And now he's a grandfather who runs the radio program here, Bob Butts. And he made essentially a nuisance of himself amongst people suggesting that his pastor might have something to say on the radio. And and so I always say that it was his vision, but it's my voice. And that's really the way it's been for all this time. And uh, the invitations that we were given to be able to broaden the base of things has obviously catapulted it to a level that none of us ever imagined at the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and part of that story involves Truth For Life coming to WFIL 14 years ago this month. So we're glad to okay. celebrate that anniversary with you. And you have a local connection. I understand uh, I live near, well, actually, Westminster Seminary. I think you were there for a time. Yeah, well, you know, I, yesterday was Tim Keller's memorial service, and uh, I was there back in 84 when Tim, before he had gone up to New York or down to New York, I can never remember the geography, <laughs> but anyway, before he got to New York, he was still doing the practical theology at Westminster, and I'd gone there to study with him for a while. Wow. And, um, yeah, Philadelphia is also uh, the place where I was married. And uh, so I, I like Philadelphia. I, I, I've been there frequently, and uh, one of my friends is the minister at the Presbyterian Church there. Hmm. And uh, so I've got a lot of connections with Philly. Tim Keller actually was a pastor at our church for a time. Uh, back in the 80s, New Life Presbyterian. Uh, in the, oh, in, that's right. So, yeah, of course. Yeah, so I still have yeah. some sermon notes tucked away in my you know trunk of stuff at home somewhere that he when he preached. So that's, that's good. Uh, look after them. Yeah, for sure. Well, so t- to the Christian Manifesto, uh, Jesus' life-changing words from the Sermon on the Plain, which we're giving away all month long, not yet because it's not out, but the people can win it before they can buy it. Uh, just take the floor a minute, kind of, because I'm sure the different books you write have different backstories, whether it's something you've been thinking about for a long time and you finally had time to do it, or whether it's more of something about what's going on around you in the world and you see something, you see a need. So uh, how did the Christian Manifesto come about for you? Well, all of these things actually come about as a result of me uh, studying in order to try and explain the text. And uh, the challenge of the words of Jesus as it's recorded for us in the gospel in what is, you know, a really short sermon, if you like, is uh, really quite staggering. And the the thought of being able to encapsulate this in a way, isolate it from the wider material in Luke and focus it, 
is really what gave rise to um, producing this material in its present form. And I must say that uh, in preparation for uh, this interview and some others, I, I read the material in a way that I hadn't really done. I mean, I read it in prospect, but I found it to be a very challenging uh, read. And uh, I'm hoping that that same challenge will reverberate in the hearts and lives of those who pick it up to read it. Early on in Chapter 1, An Invitation to Happiness, you talk about the Sermon on the Plain being spoken to both Christ followers and those who are thinking about being Christ followers. And it struck me that that's what radio really is. It's a private medium where folks, you're tuning in probably to hear truth for life and, and be encouraged and challenged. But there are also seekers who are listening who haven't made their mind up yet. Yeah, that's right. It is. I mean, I think of radio as a kind of uh, intercontinental ballistic missile in some ways. I mean, it can go places other other aspects of media don't go. Yeah. And uh, and the way in which Jesus spoke, uh, he spoke in such a manner that uh, those who had ears to hear would hear. And and um, certainly the the challenge as he begins with the whole notion of blessedness or happiness is actually kind of counter intuitive it's countercultural in terms of the idea of the good life yeah yeah uh, and and along with that not political but relational and as you mentioned kind of in chapter two a reversal of values where you're talking about uh, you know whether you want to rather than wanting to be liked or popular or wealthy not that you can't be those things but that's not where your emphasis should be that's something that's yeah. really hard uh, to to extrapolate sometimes i think for people because it's all around you and you have to be conscious of it at least at minimum yeah yeah it, it's uh it's a bit like you know jesus says uh, i want you to keep my followers i don't want you to take them out of the world i want you to keep them from the evil one so the challenge is, uh, you know, the boat has to be in the water, but the water mustn't get in the boat. And we have to deal with money and we have to deal with friendships and we deal with all of these things. And the real question that comes is, you know, what motivates us? What is it? What is the underlying driving force in our lives? And, you know, Jesus uh, speaks to his followers in such a way as to you know, make the point by way almost of dramatic irony. You know, nobody would say, well, it's far more blessed to be poor than to be rich or to be not well thought of rather than being popular. And of course, what he's doing there is he's upending values in order that he might make the the point by way of paradox. Well, as I'm thinking through, for those tuning in, we're chatting with Alistair Begg from Truth For Life, senior pastor of Parkside Church in Cleveland, Ohio. And on WFIL weekday afternoons at 5, right after this show, also 5.30 a.m., Saturdays at 5.30 a.m., and Sundays at 2. The new book is called The Christian Manifesto, Jesus' Life-Changing Words from the Sermon on the Plain. We're giving it away all month long on WFIL. You can find it more at WFIL.com. Chapter 2 ends near that. Near the end, you make a great point that says, uh, basically, there are many places you can go to pursue being rich, full, popular, but there's only one place, Jesus himself, to sign up for the happiness of life with Jesus now and forever. It's a very clarifying statement, I think, for very helpful to, to think of it that way. That's good. I'm glad you, I'm glad you like that. Um, I was remarking to somebody this morning that when, I was, uh, when we were first married back in 1975, there was a program that aired on the BBC for about four seasons, and it was called The Good Life. 
And it was, uh, you know, it was a fabrication, but it was a, like a fellow who had done well in business. And so he convinces his wife that he should retire and they should turn their suburban home into a kind of erstwhile farm. And they put a couple of pigs back there and a couple of chickens. And, and the idea, of course, was that uh, in this external way, they could bring about a transformation. And then they discovered that they still argued with each other. They still had disputes with their neighbors and everything else. And that it really pointed up the the emptiness of the idea that if you can fix it from the outside, all will be well. Hmm. And, of course, what Jesus is always saying is it, the fix starts on the inside and then it displays itself on the outside. Amen. That's good. Uh, in chapter 3, an exceptional kind of love, love your enemies, Luke 6.27. There's a story you tell about the uh, loving the guy in the blue pickup truck. Uh, Maybe maybe you can give a, a quick example or summarize that for a second, if you wouldn't mind. Well, you know what? You're catching me off guard because I can't think of I can't think of the guy in the blue pickup truck. What was he doing? Was he was he annoying me? No. Well, yes. The idea that, you know, you say, all right, I, I can love my enemies. Let me go do that. And so you look for yeah. a way to do it. But you're more checking a yeah. box rather than it coming truly from the heart because, you know, you're loved, I think, was the the gist of it. And, you know, yeah. So. Well, you made the you made the point better than me, Tim. So that was good. <laughs> well, I think it's you know I find in the book as I read through it, I, I don't know if I use the word nuance already, but there are a lot of things, uh, and I know you get into this in chapters four and five, especially chapter five, generous forgiveness, judge not, and you will not be judged, condemn not, and you will not be condemned, forgive and you will be forgiven, give and it will be given to you. There's a lot packed into that, but that judge not and you will not be judged part, you make a point of saying. There's a there's this one's used all kinds of wrong ways, but you so you know so maybe you can elaborate on that. But the concept in in the book, there's a lot of what Jesus says that you have to be willing to think a little bit. It's not just literal. What, what I think he used the word literalism in the book at one point. Yeah, yeah. So just because yeah, he's, he, yeah. he's he's using figures of speech in in order to make the point. Yeah, I I, I think that. Uh, Actually, leading up to that, of course, as you just mentioned in the chapter on loving your enemies, I mean, living by the golden rule, um, I think we say in the book, you know, that that is pressed to all kinds of uh, ends. And we need to make sure that uh, to love our enemies, we need to obey what God says about how to treat our enemies. And, you know, if, you, if you're going to love your enemy, you won't try and kill him. And if you're going to love your your enemy, you're not going to try and sleep with his wife. You know, I mean, it's it's not a kind of cozy dozy experience. Jesus is really challenging things at the core, and the spirit of judgmentalism, which can so easily, in a Pharisaical way, creep into all of our hearts, um, is really challenged by what Jesus is saying there. And I, I must say again that as I, as I reread the material, I felt like I had stood on a rake. And the, the the handle had come up and hit me uh, a pretty good bonk right on the nose. And uh, and I realized again just how revolutionary the, the mission of Jesus really is and how uh, the danger is that in seeking to accommodate ourselves to an increasingly lost culture, in, in seeking to try and get down to where they are, we're in danger of actually getting down to where they are and not realizing our position in Christ. Hmm. I think and I think you mentioned that earlier in the book. I, I wrote it down somewhere where, oh, here it is, page 16. 
We're not called to be like the world, and the world does not need us to be like the world. We have something better to say because we have someone better to follow. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that pretty well encapsulates it. You know, you mentioned that also uh, on page 60, evangelical judgmentalism. It just says, Reformed churches, in which there is a strong desire to maintain theological purity, moral rectitude, and clear expectations regarding church membership, are perhaps most in danger of coming down the wrong side of what Jesus is saying, we're rightly nervous of ending up with a position of theological vagueness, of never taking a position or challenging anything or anyone. But Jesus is not willing for us to adopt the other extreme while feeling good that we have our doctrine nailed down and our moral codes worked up and our church membership classes worked through, therefore adopting a spirit of harsh judgmentalism regarding those individuals or other churches who don't match up. So they... That's that's really well said because I think that there's a good intention behind those things, but if you're not careful, you take them way too far, and then the end is being judgmental of others. Yeah, I, th- I think that's absolutely right. Uh, I know that uh, when we look at the parable of the lost sons, um, most of us don't really want to be found in either category. Certainly, we don't want to be the pigsty son. But yet, on the other hand, we don't want to be the elder brother who could not rejoice in the transformation that took place um, in his brother. And I, I think the, the the point that we're making there is, I think, a fair point, and that is that uh, we either tend one way or the other. We either tend to a sort of weakness, which uh, loses a, a sense of contact, or that we become uh, judgmental and uh, and, and lose the opportunity for influence. Yeah. Folks, just tuning in, we chat with Alistair Begg, and from Truth For Life on WFL, you catch our program at 5 each weeknight and 5.30 a.m., a couple of times on the weekend, too. We have had uh, Pastor Begg on with us a couple of times in the past for his Name Above All Name books, a book a couple of years back, it's 2019, I think it was, and two years later it was Brave by Faith, and now two years later we have the book coming out, The Christian Manifesto, Jesus' Life-Changing Words, from the Sermon on the Plain. You know, you've served the Lord for a lot of years, and Lord willing, have many more to come. Uh, what do you find yourself thinking about these days as you step back and look at the world, and or just even as you're thinking about the Lord? Is there something that comes to mind or comes to the foreground for you uh, more often than not? Yeah, I think most recently, um, I, I don't know how old you are, Tim. 55. But, um, 55, okay, so I have you by 15 years or 16 years. From the vantage point of now, looking back at, you know, my early encounters with uh, at least American Christianity back in 1972 at Expo 72, uh, the impact amongst the hippie community of California and so on, I I, I think I see now from this vantage point that what was happening there was was unique. I mean, a lot of people were uh, impacted by if you like, the very simplicity of the gospel, saying to people, I have found a a wonderful friend in Jesus, and I would love to introduce you to him. And in the anti-Vietnam mentality, in the quest for, you know, turn on, tune in, drop out, uh, love your neighbor, find peace, all of these things, in the midst of all of that, God was at work. And many, many people were actually converted during that time. And I find myself now, all these years later, you know, fifty half a half a century later, saying, you know, dear God, you know, would you come and and do something like this again? Because we are, you know, one country full filled by two nations at war with one another, at least, and 
I don't see any political solution at all. Um, I like politics and I and I and I vote and everything. I'm not despondent in that regard, but I think we need to see a great awakening, a bit like the 18th century awakening, a great moving of the spirit of God on the people of God to live out the truths of the word of God in the kind of way that Jesus is actually saying on this plane. And that's the thing that's uppermost in my mind. That is what I want to be most diligent in praying for. I may not see it in my lifetime, but I pray that it might be the case. Because otherwise, I don't know what hope there is for America in its present predicament. Do you think along those lines, because I think it was in the Golden Rule chapter, chapter four, near the end, you have this emphasis that a person... Uh, can have their minds clear on what they believe, but that's that's not the whole picture. Like you, like you mentioned voting, you can vote for, say, someone, a pro-life candidate, but then what's the rest of your life looking like? And and maybe there is, exactly. right? So, yep. maybe there's hope. Yeah, I, yeah, I mean, we're, we're, uh, it's it's only Jesus who saves people. It's, it's not our theology that saves people. It, you know, we can... Jesus, Jesus' uh, words are life-giving words. And so we can have all our ducks in a row and all our buttons done up and everything else, but unless there is a sort of dynamic overspill of the love of Christ that comes first to us and then through us, then, um, you know, we, we, can, we can have a kind of pharisaical little game all of our own. Alistair Begg, Truth For Life, our guest today on the Tim DeMoss Show and WFIL in Philadelphia. Alistair, of course, can be heard on Truth For Life weekdays at 5 p.m. right after this show, and also weekday mornings at 5.30, also Saturdays at 5.30 a.m. and Sundays at 2 p.m. The new book is called The Christian Manifesto, Jesus' Life-Changing Words from the Sermon on the Plain. We're giving that away all month long, as well as an accompanying study guide. Uh, I've never written a book, but I have sat down at my desk for long stretches, perhaps to work on a lot of emails or whatever it may be. And when I do, I often like to have a little culinary support. <laughs> so I'll have a uh-huh. Diet Coke and uh, tortilla chips, sometimes celery carrots, something crunchy to keep me awake. How about you? Do you have anything that helps you when you're sitting there thinking and writing? I'm actually a, a diet Pepsi guy. I'm not. <laughs> I, I only take Coke reluctantly. But, uh, yeah, similarly, and... Uh, yeah, I think uh, something to crunch on helps. I'm a bit of a peanut fan, but it's, uh, it, you know, the, the trouble is it makes a mess of things as well. So <laughs> I, I tend to yeah. try and take little breaks that allow me the luxury of, you know, spilling some of those uh, chips on my yeah. on my sweater. And, yeah, and then go back because I, I, I'm a bit fastidious when it comes to making a mess of what I'm writing on or getting things in between the keys of my uh, laptop. That's funny. Tasteatlas.com says Scottish oat cakes and melting moments are among the wow. Scottish wow. snacks. But, I, you know, that was back in the day for you. Do you ever uh, delve into the the motherland <laughs> culinary type stuff? Oh, yeah, I do. There's a, there's a setup in the Carolinas called the Scottish Gourmet. And... Um, I have to stay. I have to stay away from their website because it draws me in. It, it sucks me in very quickly, and and all of a sudden these boxes arrive at our home, and my wife says, "Where, where did this come from?" And I say, "Oh, well, I, I I succumbed to the Scottish gourmet once again." And that, despite the fact that she, you know, wants to look down her nose at me, it's amazing 
how quickly I find her joining in with the delights that have come in the boxes. <laughs> this is the last time you're going to do this. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Deep fr- until, until the next until the next time. Yeah, right. Deep fried Mars bars were at the top of that list. So and they were apparently invented in 1992, which I understand is the year Truth for Life started. So maybe there's a connection somehow. I don't know. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah. yeah we, we should. We should have that as our new logo. <laughs> Any way to find an excuse or a loophole, as you're, yeah. as the book yeah. mentions. Yeah, yeah, that's right. By the way, uh, I was noticing also the the Women's World Cup. Scotland was not in the field, and no. uh, uh, no. uh, does, does that bother you at all that they that they weren't represented? I guess you got to earn it, right? You gotta... Well, I'm not, I I have to be very very I have to be very very careful on this. It, I, it doesn't bother me one bit because I'm not a fan of ladies playing soccer. Really? I'm so old. Yeah, I'm so old. And, and even even when my granddaughters go out and play in these soccer camps, there's something inside me that, that revolts against it. And so I know England are playing Australia in the semifinals, or maybe they've already played. Yeah, they did. And I do. England did won. They win or lose? England won 3-1. They won. Yeah. Oh, so now they play Spain in the final. That's it. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, uh, I don't know. I, I, yeah, the fact that Scotland's not been represented in a World Cup for some time is a matter of great concern, I must say. But what can I do? If they call you and say, "Could you be an assistant coach?" Would you say it's okay during your spare time? Oh, I do that, and I do that in a, in a moment in the New York minute. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Well, it's great. Talk- I also take over the I take over the commentary box from some of the American voices. I'd like to do that. See, that would be fun. I would think that would be really yeah, fun. Yeah, I think so. They yeah, should, they should offer that or a guest host spot or something like that. <laughs> How can people pray for you as we wrap up our chat? I want to make sure people can can keep that in mind as they listen to Truth for Life. Yeah. Well, I always say the same thing. I pray that we will be faithful. You know that that our hearts will be in tune that uh, we're not doing things out of simply a sense of duty, but out of uh, delight that is found in the duty. So faithfulness to Christ, to the Scriptures, to my congregation, my wife, children, grandchildren. Um, You know, success is fleeting. Faithfulness, I think, has a little bit of a longevity to it. So I'm very, very grateful for the many, many people that listen to Truth For Life and do pray for us and for the team. And I just simply thank them for that and encourage them to keep going. Amen. Amen. Alistair, thank you for taking time today. God bless you. Keep up the great work. Yeah, thank you. Have yourself a a Mars bar, my friend. (laughs) I will do that. (laughs) Take care. Bye-bye. That's Alistair Begg, Truth For Life, uh, weekdays at 5, also 5.30 a.m. Saturdays at 5.30 a.m. Sundays at 2 p.m. We're giving away the book, The Christian Manifesto, Jesus' Life-Changing Words. From the Sermon on the Plain, you can get entered to win that at WFIL.com. You're listening to The Tim DeMoss Show, AM 560, WFIL.com, and on the WFIL app. Thanks for tuning in to The Tim DeMoss Show podcast with AM 560, WFIL, and WFIL.com. It's 453 on The Tim DeMoss Show. It's been a fine broadcast. Uh, We had... Greg Ennis, the guy who basically helped invent Wi-Fi, join us. He has a book out called Beyond Everywhere, How Wi-Fi Became the World's Most Beloved Technology. And we just before the break, they wrapped up a chat with Alistair Begg from Truth For Life, which is coming up at 5. We have more special guests coming up in the next several days, including Michelle Tafoya, probably the 
the highly, uh, highest esteemed sideline reporter ever in TV history. She has a podcast out. We'll chat with her. She's on the Salem Podcast Network. Kurt Smeaton, creator and executive producer for Children Ruin Everything, which is a show that was originally in Canada and is now on the CW. And Dr. Yolanda Yo-Yo Whitaker, the show called Hip Hop Treasures, will join us. Uh, all in the next few days here, we have uh, Trivia Thursday, tentatively scheduled for tomorrow, part two. But first, let's wrap up the show with a fun song from that Christian parody band, Apologetics. Kind of like Billy Graham meets Weird Al Yankovic. Their uh, mission to reach the lost and teach the rest. They have hundreds of songs out and a brand new album I found in my uh, mailbox today. Apologetics, their new CD is called Septuagint. And uh, on the album, I think that's how you say it. Uh, parodies of Steely Dan, Elton John, uh, Chicago. I'm going to play for you here. Their parody of Saturday in the Park is called Sad Today in the Dark. And with all the Apologetics parodies, they have songs that are um, based in Scripture. In term, Oh, here we go. Sorry. They have parodies, I should say, that have Scripture verses. And with this, Matthew 9, 37 and 38... Jesus said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest field. Luke 10, 1 Thessalonians 5, Isaiah 49, all other passages about this. Saturday in the park, sad today in the dark. Apologetics. Good to my show, WFIL. Apologetics from this new CD, Septuagint, sad day in the dark. Take off on Chicago Saturday in the park. Thanks for listening in. Alistair Beck, Truth for Life is next. Thanks for listening to the Tim DeMoss Show podcast. Feel free to tune in to the full show each weekday afternoon from 4 till 5 on AM 560 WFIL and at WFIL.com. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.